Hello, and welcome back to What Happens to Us. Uh, turns out life also happens, uh, which led to a brief hiatus, uh, more like a months-long hiatus, but it's okay, um, because I am back, and I am so excited to have new episodes for you where we can discuss the inevitable, the fact that death is going to happen to all of us, and until that time comes during life, we are also going to experience the loss of people who are close to us, who leave a hole in our lives, so to speak. I am your host and daughter of funeral director, Devin Noel Snyder, and with each episode, I hope to bring some kind of a piece or at least curiosity to open up conversation about death. In this episode, I talk with an old friend, Joe King, about the passing of his best friend, Chad. Chad is somebody I knew as well. And in this conversation, Joe talks about how the loss of his friend of 20 years impacted his beliefs and thoughts and ideas on the afterlife and how those have changed since Joe and I's first discussion back in 2017 when It Happens to Us was just a blog. If you are interested, uh, I will link the original interview from It Happens to Us with Joe in the comment section if you want to check that out before listening to the episode. Um, it'll be readily available for you. Joe is currently living in Hanoi, Vietnam, and he is the oldest of four brothers and is, oddly enough, the only one of the four who hasn't worked for my dad's funeral business. Uh, Joe and I chatted over Zoom, and I do apologize for any background noises that you might hear. I'm going to try to edit them out as best as possible, but I am still figuring out the best way to do remote interviews with people. Um, but thank you so much for tuning in, coming back after this, again, months-long hiatus, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Joe. Okay. Am I audible? Yes, I can hear you. Excellent. I can hear you too. Are you All outside? Right. Is it dark there? Yeah. It's weird. It's, it's, yeah, it's uh, eight, 10 past eight at night. Uh, yeah. It's my balcony. Oh, cool. Where are you at right now? I'm in Hanoi. Okay. Look at that. Yeah. Um, I'd show you more of a view, but there's not really much to. There's a lake here. Oh, yeah. Can't really tell, I guess. Um, That's so cool, though. It's a, it's a nice balcony. It's really, yeah. it's comfortable. Cool. Got a nice breeze. Right. How are you? You're, you're in I'm good. Nashville? You I'm in Nashville. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Cool. I moved living there. here just over a year ago. Yeah. Nice. How's yeah. that? It's nice. I like it a lot. Um, it's been weird moving across country in a pandemic, but it's fine. Right. I bet everything's a bit weird. In the yeah. Pandemic. Yes. <laughs> um, well, thanks for doing this. Sure. Yeah. No problem. Um, I reread our initial conversation. Oh gosh. I want to say that was like 26, 2017, 2016. I don't know. It was a while ago. Um, yeah. How yeah. was that? It was good. I, mean, I, I kind of have like second thoughts about some of the things that I said. Yeah. <laughs> I was because when you hit me up about this, I was like, oh man, I've actually been thinking about things that I told you. Like I, I felt that I might have different thoughts, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we can. Well, we I, can just, like dive right in. So before when we spoke, you said that when we all die um you think that it's just like the absence of everything um and that there's literally nothing after has that changed it at all uh no it hasn't <laughs> yeah. uh that's one thing that hasn't changed in my mind um even even if i wanted to be different uh, especially because um someone closer to me has died uh mm -hmm. i still that still doesn't change my fundamental belief that that's what is likely the, the case yeah um 
And I thought it was funny. We, uh, you said how you were raised Catholic and that it was just like a waste of your parents' money to send you to school and everything to learn what you're, so, what you're uh, supposed to learn, supposed to believe. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a total waste. Uh, it's interesting to open yourself up to different ideas, even if you disagree with them. Yeah, I just kind of wish I went to like yeshiva school or something like that. Like it, it was just so dogmatic and mm-hmm. it, there wasn't much in the way of critical thought that went into it that I kind of left feeling slight, not dumber, but um, <laughs> uh, I just felt that it wasn't uh, it wasn't the best type of education. That's for sure. Yeah. But at least I was exposed to a dogmatic type of education. So that in and of itself was something to take away from. Yeah. Um, they surely could have used the money in better ways. So, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's interesting having also been raised, like going to Christian school and it's like, these are the facts and this is all there is. And this is the way you're going to think. And that's it. Um, now that I'm an adult, I'm like, wait, no. <laughs> um, I mean, I wish I could like know the Bible inside and out. And like, if that is the way I was taught, that would be very helpful for me because it's pretty hard to go back as an atheist and just be like, I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover mm-hmm. and just do it on my own or something or go into, you know, a religious Bible class or something like that. Yeah. on of your own accord but if you just have it drummed into you when you're a kid um or when you're you know coming of age mm-hmm. like that would have been a much better usage rather than the catechism that i received i just felt most of it was foolish yeah and i had to yeah. un- unlearn a lot of the lessons mm-hmm. yeah i can relate to that um okay so i want to talk about chad um first can you like tell me a little bit about him and your friendship with him uh sure so um so we were friends for almost a quarter of a century uh we met when we were skateboarding um just a pack of uh you know uh teenagers out in the streets of uh suburban los angeles and just going from school to school after you know after school uh going to different um elementary schools and middle schools and just skating different spots and then going to like a taco bell or mcdonald's and then kind of going home um but kind of hanging out and getting to know each other and growing up that way and uh, i kind of wrote about him after he died and i haven't like shared it or published it or anything but i wanted to collect my thoughts about it when it was like really raw and fresh and in the moment And so I sort of wrote it in a way that um, because we had a really like inside type of humor. um, Mm -hmm. And if you were in, you knew. And if you didn't, you were just on the outside. So I kind of wrote it in in such a way as um, if people that didn't know me or him could understand. Mm. And uh, basically we had we we sort of um, gradually like you sort of shake out like which friends are like really your closest friends because you kind of have a, a a tribe of skaters and you know there might be a dozen or more than a dozen of you and so everyone sort of hangs out but over time you kind of see like which one you end up talking to the most or after everyone goes home you you find yourself talking with them like till the streets get dark and yeah. stuff like that and so he was one of them and uh, so we had like um, a couple of pillars of our friendship, as I sort of described it in what I wrote, um, which was uh, appreciation. And like he had, we both had, I, I mean, not to speak highly of myself, but I think we both saw in, in the other one um, a deep appreciation for things. And it could be various different things. It could be like, you know, like love, family members, like passion for things that we do, music, um, like lyrics, like hymns, like more instruments, 
things like that. And we would, uh, we would uh, spend just hours and hours um, on what we called appreciation sessions oh. where we would uh, stay up like all through the night, just appreciating like one thing or one artist or something like that. And there's really like, there was really no one else in the world that I could truly share those types of things with. So he, he really um, over, as we grew up together, like he really stood out in that regard. Um, and then um, the second, the other pillar was uh, humor. Um, not to say that we were like, you know, the funniest guys at the party per se, but we would have like the, the sense of humor was so deep. Like it was layer upon layer upon layer. And this is what I mean about it being like, you know, being inside. Uh, so, um, you know, like inside jokes would build upon inside jokes and there would be like a vast network of, of language and puns based on puns, et cetera. Oh my gosh, puns. <laughs> yeah, you've been victim to some of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was an extraordinary, like sometimes I'll look back on, you know, 10 years ago, some Facebook comment thread that uh, Chad and I and some others got, got into, and it's just extraordinary to read. Um, it's, it's like a, it's really like another language. Yeah. And it was like our own thing. And it was just, it was great. It's really hard to replicate something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I mean, there are many, many parties, um, but just like the two watching the two of you at a party, just always laughing and just genuinely like having a good time. Um, mm-hmm. And then I remember like walking into the conversation a couple times and be like, they're la- I have no idea what they're talking about, but like yeah. they're having a good time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It may yeah. as well be Mandarin. Like, yeah. Was- <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. But I always thought that, I mean, there was definitely like that bond there and that was really, really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so Back to our original interview, um, you hadn't really had anybody close to you pass away. Um, you had mentioned a cousin that like suddenly passed and how you just kind of, you weren't emotive, you internalized it. Um, mm-hmm. How did that differ um, with losing Chad? You, you wrote about it, which is awesome. Um, but like, how how did you process that that grief oh it, it was completely different um the the okay when i my cousin died um i was pretty young i don't know i was maybe 12 or something like that um not sure but um i was sort of reflecting the shock of my mom at mm-hmm. that time and i didn't really know how to process it and i'd met my cousin peter a couple times but like it was just, uh, I was just like, kind of um, didn't know how to process it myself. So I kind of reflected how my, you know, just sort of like overhearing the, you know, my mom talked on the phone with her, her sisters was like really shocking to hear. But um, this time was, wow, this was completely different. Um, so uh, the, the way Chad died, um, not to get but like it was a really drawn out process like he didn't just get like you know hit by a bus and die instantly he was skateboarding um, one of our passions and he was bombing a hill going down a hill really fast and you know he wasn't with anyone so no one saw it but he fell somehow and he basically cracked the back of his skull and then someone found him in the street brought him to a hospital and he was in a coma, like a you know, medically induced coma to, because he had like brain swelling. And so I found out I was out here in Hanoi, Vietnam. Um, you know, it's a 14 hour time difference. And I was, you know, like it was very, it was a getting that I was informed. Basically, I was, I was the first. So his, his, uh, his partner at the time, Victoria, uh i was the first one that she called even though i'm halfway around the world uh because like she knew we were best friends so it was like late at night on 
Sunday, I think it was like April 1st, uh, 2019. Mm-hmm. And so she called me and I was, you know, I didn't, she didn't have much to say other than Chad's in the hospital, blah, blah, blah. So I called my brother, Sean, and I was kind of like shaking and almost kind of in tears. And I just asked him if he could go to the hospital, please, and figure out what, what happened. And so I basically was kind of orchestrating, telling, I was telling like people that were, you know, also his friends in the circle that I would have to reach out to them and tell them, um, can you guys, if you could like go to the hospital and see him. And, and I, my mom went as well. Um, and my mom considered him, uh, she called him her fifth son. No, just really sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they all went there. And so I had this really grueling experience of not being able to be there in person, getting secondhand information about his condition and not knowing if he was going to make it or not. Mm-hmm. And not knowing if he did make it, if he would be brain dead or a vegetable or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so it was just, it was the, the agony was drawn out and I was working like I'm a teacher here. So I was going to class and teaching in front of, you know, a room full of students every day, whilst knowing that my friend was, you know, on a gurney on life support and may or may not make it. Mm-hmm. And that was a really testing experience. And um, basically uh, over the course of, uh, I think maybe five days, it's hard to remember exactly. But um, his condition seemed more and more hopeless. And it was clear that there was uh, you know, brain activity and um, they were, he was just being artificially kept alive. And uh, it was at that point when his parents had to make the harrowing decision that, a parent, that no parent should ever have to make, which is to take their own child off of life support because um, there's no evidence uh, of any brain activity. And uh, even the faintest bit of hope that, you know, like your, your fingers may twitch or something in a nervous reaction, even if you are completely brain dead. And that's just like sort of muscle spasms or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that would give this uh, notion of hope to his parents that, especially his mom, that he may still be alive in there somewhere. And, and that was absolutely uh, one of the worst uh, imaginable experiences that I could ever come up with. Uh, <clears throat> and so you asked me like specifically, how is it different? Like my, how did I grieve differently from years ago when it was my, my cousin and it was a bit more uh, distant, I suppose, even though it was family. Um, yeah, this one, I, I sort of was, observing the grief outside of my own body because it was it was like it was was something I'd never experienced before like I in shocking and and terrifying or crisis situations I'm I'm usually have a really cool head and I don't panic or anything like that and so it's un it's very unusual for me to like lose my cool or cry or break down or anything like that um I don't think I've ever done that so um yeah i was sort of witnessing myself doing like experiencing those things that you see in movies or you hear about other people going through and uh that it was real for me um i remember one time at work it was it was the friday and i had just found out that morning that they had actually pulled the plug and, and it was over it was done and i was still i was still at work that day and then i had to have a meeting with the hr manager it was just the worst time ever to have this like um, important meeting. And so she just like, let's sit down. I was signing a, a like an important contract as well. I, I couldn't even read the pages. Everything was just blurring together. Um, and then she just asked me like, are you okay? And I, I couldn't get more than two or three words out with before I just com- sort of just completely broke down, like convulsive weeping, like beyond my control, which was something I have never experienced before in my life. Um, uh, and yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was strange to witness it happening to me. Um, and I started getting, like, I got like night terrors at night. I would wake up with like full body, like, uh, convulsive 
crying, like I was saying, your whole body is like shuddering. Mm-hmm. So it's a very uh, interesting physiological reaction. I mean, to put it yeah. in, a, in a scientific way. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, 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 I was physically going through grief and I think it's the, you know, it's obviously the, um, psychology is attached to physiology. So like the amount of uh, stress and anguish that I was going through was just translating directly into my, into my body. And, um, yeah, it was crazy. It was really, really rough. It it took uh, a couple of weeks before I was like stabilized where, you know, I could um, be completely at ease for more than like a week at a time. Mm -hmm. And now it's been, it's been over two years and um, it's like, yeah, time kind of uh, heals it. But I mean, if you have a, if you want to interject, by the way, I feel like I'm rambling. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it feels like things are fine. You know, it's been, okay, it's been a year, it's been a year and a half, it's been two years. Mm-hmm. But um, if I pull out that journal and I read what I wrote, like we try to read it to my girlfriend to try to sort of share with her, like who he, who he is, or who he was. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the things that's agonizing about this is no one here knows him. Right. So like people would ask, first of all, you get the, the, the litany of questions from, from people who are like, oh, I'm so sorry. Did you know him very well? And I'm like, oh my God, mm. like, don't even bother asking me. Like, cause, and that's fine. I don't blame them, but like, you want to be surrounded by everyone, the people who know him intimately. Um, and it was a very lonely way to experience that mm-hmm. kind of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, I found myself even two years later when I when I read out of that journal, it's really hard for me to get through. Like, I'm glad I wrote it down because um, yeah. it's tough for me to read out loud. So yeah, a world of difference from from the uh, the other yeah experience of loss that I had. Yeah, and I was gonna ask, and you kind of touched on it a little bit. Do you think? that it would have been different or easier um, if you had like been home going through all of this as opposed to just being so, I can't imagine like feeling, I, I, I would feel so helpless being so far away. Um, and that's interesting you bring up that like nobody knew like knew him so you couldn't really like relate to him were you able to kind of connect with people from home have you been home at all since it happened um yeah so um the thing is like him and i so it was april and i was coming home in june okay so chad and i were already planning all kinds of stuff like we're gonna do skateboarding trips camping trips we're gonna bring his son his son last time i was home was calling me uncle joe we were like planning all these like awesome quote dad trips to like the mountains and show his kid how to you know how to go camping properly we're gonna bring like kevin's dog panzer we just had all these amazing stuff planned and like the literally you know you just look at the messages right before he died between him and i And it's like these amazing epic trips that we planned and uh, that happens shockingly. And then I still go home like two months later because my impulse was to fly home immediately. But it was like, I, my mom kind of calmed me down. She's like, look, the funeral is not happening right away. Um, You're coming home anyway. Like it's a lot of money and time and I could work like they'd have to cover me at work and all it was just a a nightmare of a situation. So I waited till I was coming home when I had my break for the summer, Mm -hmm. which I did. And it actually was better because they had the memorial service for him during the summer. I I don't know why exactly. Yeah. But the parents did that. They waited a few months. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and also I had some time to like not be, a complete mess 
you know, during that. So I actually had a wonderful time. I mean, I'm of the mindset that like funerals should not be people just like dressed in black and almost like in religious, somber, quiet mood. And then sort of like, you know, say a couple of words and then walk away. Like Mm -hmm. I would much rather have like an Irish wake where people are celebrating my life getting drunk and telling good stories and memories and laughing about the the times that I had with them. They remember about my life. And so that's kind of what it was more like. It was more like an Irish wake. And I really enjoyed it. You know, there was a lot of laughter. There were so many stories, stories I'd forgotten about, stories other people had forgotten about that I reminded them of. A bunch of friends I hadn't seen in years. Um, and then tears as well. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was actually wonderful. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. That's, that's cool. I, you mentioned wanting more of an Irish wake when we spoke before. Um, and I think that's, you also talked about how in Vietnam and these other places you've traveled to, how it is more of like a celebration and it's really colorful and they have like these big kind of like celebratory things and it's not quite as somber and they really embrace it more. Um, so that's cool. And yeah. There's lots of instruments, bizarre really? Asian instruments and you can hear it down the whole neighborhood. It's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. That's cool. Um, but that feels very like appropriate and very Chad for it to be like more of a, I wouldn't say fun, but just like more lighthearted and like sharing those stories and everybody just getting together and like reminiscing. Um, That's really cool that you were able to be a part of that Um, and that the family just didn't rush to have the service. Um, Have you kept in contact like with his partner and son at all? Um. Well, we did that summer, but I don't, I mean, I don't know how much I want to get into it now because I don't know who's going to listen, but um, it sort of kind of got weird a little bit. And then she moved out of state and she wasn't really responding because I wanted to be a part of um, his son's life. You know, I wanted to take him, pick him up and go skateboarding with him or mm-hmm. my brothers come by if I'm not there and they can go skate with him. Cause you know, Chad and him, he was maybe four or five, was mm-hmm. pretty young. Yeah. But, um, you know, as he started getting older, it'd be cool if he could hang out with Chad's core group of friends. Yeah. And, you know, as he got older, he, we could remind him that his dad was pretty amazing person but yeah I don't know if that's going to happen and I'm also it's also very hard for me to keep those ties tight when I'm living abroad right um but um fortunately it looks like that that ship is may have sailed and I don't know if if I'll be able to reconnect them I think they're up in like Washington state okay but I'm sure I'll see him at some point yeah um let's see so what um what else has changed on your views on death and like loss and grief um after losing chad oh um well one of the things that um after going through that um kind of excruciating uh, grief process that I described earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that it did for me was it really like expanded my sense of empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so people that are going through that experience, um, not that I know exactly what they're feeling, but Mm -hmm. at least I can relate to it a bit more. And um, that definitely helps in, you know, it's one of those things in life that I think everyone needs to learn. Um, yeah. And if you're lucky, you don't have to go through that, but uh, I think it will help you grow as a person. I mean, not that I wish that on anyone, but right. it's going to happen at some point. Yeah. Um, 
our, our first conversation, I think I titled it something like living a life of risk. Um, and you talked about, (laughs) uh, right. You know, there was that trip where you like went to Mexico with somebody you just met and how you like ride your motorcycle drunk in the middle of the night. Has any of that changed um, at all? Are you are you more cautious at all? Well, now I do, uh, you know, uh, paragliding with no parachute and, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I have actually, it's changed quite a bit to be honest. Um, I've fallen in love and I have like a serious relationship now. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, I mean, it is apropos to this conversation. Like we kind of, when we first started dating, we really bonded over loss. Okay. So when, when, um, we met like pretty a few months after Chad died. So it was really fresh for me, pretty Mm -hmm. raw. And um, yeah, like I had done some filming expedition with my friends early in the morning. And then we'd gone to like a, a kind of like a boozy lunch thing. And by the time the day was over, it was like, I was like falling asleep in my hammock and getting really nostalgic and missing Chad. And then uh, I just, you know, it's kind of embarrassing, but like, yeah, it just started like, I was just like crying basically on my, on my balcony, on my hammock. And she was like the most consoling, wonderful, kind, generous person. And, you know, I thought it was like, okay, this relationship, she's going to be like, running for the hills because we had just started dating a few weeks earlier but she was so absolutely like she just like she knew like everything without me telling her any any of the story behind it Mm -hmm. um and then it turned out that like she had a very similar experience so she lost she lost her best friend as well oh wow and so um she like intuited that that was the case Mm -hmm. um but she you know this happened to her like maybe 18 years ago or something you know, when she was a teenager but um <clears throat> yeah we sort of like that was like a one of the keystones and the one of a real true bonding experience between her and i mm. and uh it's interesting how it's it made our foundation much stronger yeah so it's like another it's another bizarre blessing that has come from the loss of chad Mm-hmm. there's been other you know so this expansion of empathy it's 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 helped solidify a new relationship in my life and then also like an old friend i never i hadn't talked to in a while for x y or z reason they mm-hmm. sort of reached out to me and, oh, then, wow. so, and then we re- reconnected so there's been very unusual um positive things that have emerged from that very negative thing yeah um do those like i don't know if there's some coincidences but do those like blessings as you say make you i mean being an atheist do those make you believe in like a higher power or that there's something out there looking out for you or is it all just like coincidental (laughs) i mean as pattern seeking mammals i think you know we we just sort of notice the rhythms in life and mm. things like that. I don't think it has anything to do with any higher power looking out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it but you know it is it's just sort of like poetic in the in the, the, the rhythms of life where you where you just sort of notice these things like yeah. um, how grief can give birth to love. Like there's something. There's something poetic about that. I don't think it's anything supernatural, though. Mm-hmm. I don't think, and it doesn't need to be. Like, right? It, it sort of, it just, it just is. Yeah. It would, it would rob it of its beauty if it, if it weren't. You know. That yeah, that's being, being somebody who like likes to romanticize things. That's that's interesting. That I've never thought about it that way before. That it does kind of like take away from it if you have to have like, oh, this was supposed to happen or this was, you know, so-and-so's looking out for me, um, rather than like, it doesn't have to be overcomplicated. It just is what it is. And that's like beautiful in its own. 
regard. Yeah. Um, right. Let's see. I, <laughs> I wrote down this quote that you said um, when we first spoke and you said that like, you know, death is always breathing down your neck and that you give the middle finger to it. Um, and how you like your life. <laughs> I love it. That's, that's how the oh, interview wow. ended last time. Um, oh my God, gosh. Has, has that like shifted? You still give the middle finger to, I, to death? Well, well, it's, I'm kind of embarrassed that I said that, but it sounds like a game of Thrones line or something. Like that. <laughs> uh, what do we say to death? Um, I mean, I, I was a bit, I don't know. Back then, I think I was just more like, fuck it, generally. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if I was just kind of like, if I die, I die. It's like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But I, I've definitely softened on that. And also, like like I was saying earlier, um, my, my attitude in that interview about my grandma's death. Yeah. Which I don't know if we've talked about yet at all, but no. I was pretty, I was pretty harsh. Mm-hmm. And I have come just in the last few months, honestly, to begin to regret that. And, and I've thought back on that. And I, and I, I don't think I would say those things today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I kind of, uh, but that's okay. Me back then, that's who I was, or that's what I felt. So I don't, right. I don't necessarily regret it. I just, um, I think differently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you, you had said that, you like wish she had died sooner. You, you know, not not nice things to say about her. Um, what what has made that shift, and what are your thoughts on that loss now? Um, <clears throat> well, I realized how one sided the information I was getting, and I, look, I I'm fairly certain, ninety five percent certain that she was not a good human being. She was not a good person. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I didn't mourn her death because, uh, like, she was just, uh, just didn't, she didn't have a connection with me, and she chose not to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, everyone has, like, inherent worth. And for me to, to say, like, almost a cruel thing, like, she should have died earlier, um, I'm glad that she died. I don't know if I said that I'm glad that she died, but thing like that type of sentiment, mm-hmm. um, it just sort of, it's a bit ignorant. Um, and I, yeah, I wouldn't say that now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, um, something I've thought about a lot too. Um, just, just working regional in a pandemic and wishing people would go <laughs> who are awful. Um, but but it's true like everybody does have some some sort of worth um and everybody's like here for a reason and everybody's going through you know their own thing and a lot of times I think about the other day on the phone I had this customer call who was angry just like screaming at me and I was it was not a pleasant experience and I like wished them not nice things. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't know what that person's going through. I don't know their story. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, um, that is, that's, I think it's really cool that you've like kind of come around to not holding like a grudge against her, um, for being the way she, I mean, if, if, if anything, just so I could ask her questions about, you know, she is the, the, the mother of my father. Mm-hmm. So she is kind of inherently like a wealth of information right. that I, that I could tap into and stuff. Um, but when she died, like I, you know, I was a teenager and I didn't have any interest in talking to her, mm-hmm. but if she had lived a bit longer and when, you know, into when I was more mature, then I could have sat down with her for three hours and just asked her a bunch of questions. Yeah. No, but I would, but she died before I could do that. So mm-hmm. if, if only for that alone, like, um, would I take back my comments, you know, it's not that I actually do think she's a wonderful person. Right. You just want to get yeah. to know like more of her story. I just want those details. Yeah. No, but yeah. I mean, but honestly, 
<laughs> like she wasn't like she wasn't she wasn't out killing people or something like that. Right. Not like she needed to be put put down like a rabbit right. dog. She, right. she was just an elderly right. woman who, you know, throughout my childhood didn't really care to get to know me. But like um me being angry at that is more on me kind mm-hmm. of. Uh like that's how I look at it now versus I'm, you know, saying something silly like I'm glad she died. Right. Yeah. Um this this has nothing to do with what we've talked about so far, but it dawned on me when I was reading your previous interview how you are the only King brother who hasn't have you worked for my dad? You haven't worked for my dad. Um I've built I've done construction. Work. Right. You've done nothing like nothing to house, do with death. But you haven't yet. I've done yeah, I, I built a deck in your backyard yeah. and I um did uh pulled up some um some flooring in your kitchen. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I forgot about that. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you haven't you haven't worked in the funeral business. Um, no, but you have. have you spoke before how you worked. Yeah, how you worked for a hospice company. Um, well, not company, but whatever, setting up for hospice care and tearing down. Um, so I just think it's really interesting and kind of funny that all four of you have worked in the death realm of some sort um where where do you think that comes from i just think it's really interesting that all four of you have had like this kind of connection to working with death in some capacity um do you think that comes from anywhere or is it just like a mutual fascination or i just think it's Mm, i was I mean, I was working with hospice patients, but I was also working with a whole wide range of patients. So, I mean, kit like babies coming home from the hospital who needed feeding pumps okay. to like someone who's, you know, a hospice patient who's got two weeks left to live. So I had the whole gamut, yeah. but I definitely experienced a lot of people. I got, I befriended people and then, you know, set up a whole, their whole home hospice care setup. And then I get the order a week later and it'd be like, shit that's the person i just you know mm-hmm. talked to for two hours set up all their stuff and i gotta go back and whenever you pick the hospice equipment up you know that they've passed away yeah uh, they don't ever they're not they never recover so um <clears throat> yeah the it's i don't think it's some sort of the kings have a morbid fascination <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's more that my mom's a nurse oh yeah and so when i was younger she'd be like Joseph, you should, there's an opening at this company. You should, you know, get, get your application in right away. Uh, so that's kind of how that worked. Yeah. <laughs> I've never, not necessarily been drawn to hospice uh, situations. They're really, honestly, quite depressing. Like if you go into a, a hospice yeah. care facility, uh, you can smell the stench of death and despair. It's, it's not something I ever was. I mean, it, it was interesting though to, to, just to experience all that for years yeah but um I was never drawn to it how did you because I feel like that that would get really I don't know like depressing after a while you're going and you're kind of getting to know these people even just for an hour or two um and then knowing that they died and it's not like you've known them forever but did that get like, did it become too much at any point or like, how did you deal with that? Cause for me, even like growing up around, you know, death, knowing it's going to happen, I could only work for my dad so long before I was like, I can't, I can't be around this anymore. Um, and that was really difficult. So I can't imagine like going, knowing that these people probably aren't going to make it getting to know them for a little bit and then having to like, go pick everything back up. How did you like get through that job well at least i got to go when they were alive i mean you're just dealing with people that are dead right i mean they're inanimate like like Mm -hmm. i got to like you know and it's not like i befriended every single one of these people but um oftentimes oftentimes i would be you know they're they're surrounded by a a parade of nurses and and caretakers and different strangers basically Mm -hmm. and it you know often they would say like to me, like, you're like the only person that's actually listening to me, you know? Um, Like, I don't know. I'm, 
I guess I'm a good listener. Um, yeah. I'm not telling them what to do. Like, sir, Mr. So-and-so, you need to do this, do that. Like, I'm just like, I'm happy to listen to them. They, they have lived the whole life. Some of those people yeah. were like, I'd see them every, every week or twice a week. And I'd bring them oxygen and they weren't hospice, but they'd be like, you know, you know, Mr. Such and such Wilson. And he, uh, he's 93 years old and he fought in world war two. He was in a B 17 flying fortress over France. And I'd go in, I see all his medals and I'd bring in his oxygen and be like, how's it going? How's it going, sir? How are you doing today? And, um, if I can get in, um, a couple of comments or questions about, you know, where did he, where, where did he fight during the war or something like that? It was great. Like, I, yeah. those, those were amazing experiences. And I know that like that generation was dying off rapidly. Yeah. So I knew that like within, within 10 years, there's not going to be any, basically there's not going to be any more sort of world war two veterans um, to speak mm-hmm. of, you know, for, for the most part. Yeah. So, those those were awesome experiences. I'm, you know, and you know, someone lives a full, long, rich life. Um, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. Um, that's uh, that's all part of the the cycle of life. Um, it, you know, of course, it's what would be more sad. Really, was like the families, um, especially with the home hospice situations, mm-hmm. when they were much younger than they needed to be. Maybe they aren't. They had cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you go back and then the whole family would be there like two, three generations or whatever. And like they're all mourning and in the midst of them going through their grief, I'm, you know, parading through their house, picking up the hospital bed and clanging, making noises and walking through them. Like that was like not only awkward, but it was just like, oh my God, it was, you just want to like, you know, disappear. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I'm not feeling what they're feeling exactly. I just I have a hint of what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. And in that case, almost it. it's kind of like the same thing when um, you know the funeral home or whoever comes to pick up the body. You're almost like the bad guy in that situation because you're like taking away the like last remains or whatever of this person's life. That's um, that's an interesting place to be. Uh, at least I'm, 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 I'd be piercing the bubble of their privacy in that moment, you know, because right. like, they yeah, do need right. to get all this stuff out of the way. They don't want oxygen tanks and pumps and hospital beds and all these kind of weird, scary devices like in their home Yeah, because they converted, you know, the, one of the sister's bedrooms or something like that. They want that stuff out. Um, right. and, and so I, you know, it's sort of like, I'm walking into the middle of a very personal, one of the most personal family moments imaginable. And I'm just parading right in. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm here to do this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was very strange situation. Yeah. Um, but you, you have to go through that a lot, right? Or you, uh, that, that's like the, what your dad does, right? He, it's sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it definitely takes like a special kind of person to be able to go pick somebody up during that time. Cause essentially like you are, you're invading like their grief. Um, you're taking their loved one away from them. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, I've never done it cause I, I haven't had a ton of interaction with bodies themselves. Um, but I, I don't think I could do that. Just like, okay, I'm going to go like, take this person away from you now. Um, yeah. Your brothers do it though. <laughs> yeah. Are they good at it? Are they? I, I assume so. They still have jobs. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sean's the one who's there now. Um, it's my goal to interview all of the King brothers for this. Cause I, I think it'll be interesting. Have you, different. Have you interviewed any of them? Is it, Not yet. No, you're, you're the first. Just me. Mm-hmm. And I got two. Yeah. You're the special one. Um, but no, I definitely, I definitely want to tap all of them for this. Cause I think it'll be interesting to see like the similarities and the differences. Um, and I worked, I never like worked for my dad with Sean, but I worked with pork a lot. Um, 
on services and stuff or in the office. Uh, so yeah, I just, I think it'll be interesting and kind of fun to talk to each yeah. of them. He's a nurse now, so he's probably got all, all kinds mm -hmm. of yeah. fascinating stories. Yeah. Um, well, any, any last thoughts on death before we wrap it up? <laughs> uh, try to avoid it at all costs. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. Um, again, I will link Joe's original interview in the comment section of this episode if you want to check that out, if you haven't already. Um, there was one thing I wanted to talk about, and that is how Joe brings up when he passes away. He would like there to be a traditional Irish wake um, to celebrate his life. And according to Google, wakes are an occasion of mourning the loss of a loved one, but also include times of cheerful merriment. Irish wakes are a celebration of life, and they're one last party to honor the deceased. I personally think this is a great way to celebrate somebody who is lost. Um, again, especially in the U.S., death is very taboo. It's very solemn, something people don't really like to talk about, but I love this idea of people coming together to just like throw one last party to celebrate and obviously also mourn the person that they so loved. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sticking with me. I will be posting. It happens to us episodes every other week. I hope you enjoy our episode today was produced by me, Devin Noel Snyder. The episode was edited by Kat Elizabeth who you might remember was episode three's guest, as well as the composer of our intro and outro music. And I've rebranded. Um, one thing I focused on during this hiatus was giving It Happens to Us a fresh look and hiring a professional instead of my less than Photoshop skills. So the rebranding, the new logo, new cover art, um, Instagram graphics, all of it was created by Alexis Casson. I will tag her in the posts and I will send a link to her website if you want to check her work out as well. Thank you again so much for listening and I'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye.